0: Welcome to CIO Leadership Live Canada. I'm Lee Rennick, Executive Director, CIO Communities for CIO.com. And I'm very excited to welcome Renata Kanin, Vice President, Global Corporate Technology Canada Life. Renata, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your current role. Thanks so much
1: for, for having me on. I really appreciate it. So, uh, obviously, my name is Renata Kanin, and my role is the Vice President of Global Corporate Technology within Canada Life. Uh, that basically means I'm responsible for all the corporate technologies that support our global footprint. It includes all the HR functions like payroll and human capital management, our financial and actuarial systems, so everything we're responsible for reporting financial results to our stakeholders, and uh, all the tools that support our risk and compliance reporting across the organization. The global role, its uh, and its complexities, is definitely not a uh, never a dull moment
0: i can imagine especially at the global level with all the different components you're you're working on and obviously now with so much innovation potential innovation with you know gen ai and lm so i'm really looking forward to chatting with you today thank you so much um, and i appreciate you joining us so much jay renata we've really con- created this series to support the senior technology leader in their tech and leadership journey so, the first question and I ask everyone this question could you tell me a little bit about your own career path and maybe some insights or tips on that road path? Are there any lessons learned that you could share? I can tell you right now that my career path has been anything
1: but a straight line. Um, I've really had a winding road to get to from where I started, which was managing call centers, selling merchant services to mid market businesses, um, and insurance sales for a large financial institution. Then I moved into credit card rewards programs. And then I fell into tech probably in about 2013. I think the most important thing I can tell anyone is just be open to roles that scare the life out of you. You have to think about the you know, taking on roles that are going to challenge you and make you grow. I've been consistently put in roles that I felt like I had no business being in. Um, I could start out with cloud engineering. Uh, I think I was the first woman out of you know 80 men that were in that particular group. Uh, Capital markets infrastructure, you know, to DevOps engineering, and now finally in corporate technology, managing large SAP deployments. Mm -hmm. None of these things did I have strong knowledge in. That's the reality. Um, I equate, you know, every new and demanding role akin to a 2000 piece jigsaw puzzle. You know, you pull it out of the box, it's a mess of pieces, it's completely overwhelming, you know, a feeling of like where to begin. That's kind of where my fire is. Like, I like complex things. Um, and that kind of fuels me. So, you know, you pull it out of the box, it's a mess of pieces, uh, but then you soon realize that you need to take it in pieces, like literally. Uh, and then you start to sort it through in manageable chunks. You know, you start with the border. Um, yeah, and you slowly start to build that picture. And over time you create something that you felt was impossible when you started. And that's kind of the excitement of, of taking on things that you don't really know. But the more times you do these difficult things, you can remind yourself, That when you're in that situation, you know, there may be different, it may be different, but the feelings are always the same. You know, you don't have to have everything solved in one day. It's like the quote from Martin Luther King. You don't have to see the whole staircase, just the next step. I think um, what happens with people is there's this analysis paralysis, right? We are waiting for everything to be perfect and well-planned out before you start executing. You just, you know, if there's one thing I could say is you have to believe in yourself trust the process, just take the first step and the rest of
0: it's gonna fall into place. You know, I think when you mentioned your career path, you've worked in various sectors, you've worked in credit card rewards. I have too. for, I did for a while. So, you know, all those different areas where you learn about different types of, you have, you learned about different types of industries, different types of skills. Right. So you can come into probably a role or, you know, um, in cloud and understand maybe data a little bit better because you've had to deal with that in a different way, perhaps in a different role. But you've had that industry experience. I love that idea of the puzzle piece. That's really inspiring for me, um, because that's how I feel with everything I do all the time at work. It's like, how am I going to accomplish this? You know, <laughs> even though you do know you probably have the skills it's like, and then when you put it all together or it happens, then it feels so satisfying. So thank you for sharing that analogy. that That is that is a really great one. And, you know, I wanted to move over to a subject to talk about something I'm very passionate about. I'm trying to support um, young girls getting inspired about STEM and STEAM through a uh, Hacker Gala charity that I support in Canada. But, you know, we are seeing still a lot of issues and problems around creating diversity in the tech sector. So I read this Globe and Mail piece that said the percentage of women in tech has largely stagnated for 20 years. And one of the reasons the article reflects on is saying that the environment for women in tech can often be unwelcoming, and that women often then just go ahead and choose different paths rather than going into, for, for instance, computer engineering or computer science, those types of things. So Right now in Canada, we've seen a slight decline. There's only 24% of tech workers in Canada are women. You really are an advocate for uh, women building careers in technology. So can you shed some light on what employers and organizations, you know, you believe should be doing to help build skills, especially for women in tech and have that comfort zone?
1: Yeah, it's a a really, really tough proposition, right? And a lot of us, many of us, I, I would think all of us are really thinking about a lot. You know, we can talk about employers and organizations, but it actually starts a lot sooner. So I'm not going to, I'm going to go to pre-organizations. I firmly believe that if we don't start to address this in kind of pre-college university, that it will continue to be an issue. The reality is as human beings, we need to see people we want to emulate. So we need examples. This is where getting involved with like local high schools and first year, you know, college or university students. Um, and sharing the art of possibilities. Um, That's something that I've done a lot of over my career is doing talks in the universities. You know, 12.9% of women enrolled in a STEM program by the end of the year subsequent to high school graduation. That's it, 12.9%. In comparison to 18.3% of their male counterparts that Mm -hmm. followed the same path. So the difference is a 5.5 percentage point. It corresponds to 29.8% lower probability of women enrolling in STEM. So, you know, as women, we, we make up uh, only 23% of Canadians working in, in science and technology. So I really think, you know, starting earlier, it, it has to start with your, you know, parents showing the, the, the young, like, it's not quintessential, you got to be a developer, there's a lot of roles in tech that don't require you to be a developer. You can be an analyst. You can be a project manager. There's so many different things um, that we can do. In regards to employers and organizations, you know, really implementing mentorship programs. You know, providing tra- targeted training opportunities. Fostering inclusive workplace cultures and just seeking out diverse candidates during the recruitment process. And I think, you know, at Canada Life, we're doing a really good job of that and and working very hard to bring that on. You have to encourage a supportive environment, you know, offering flexibility that can also contribute to women's professional growth in the tech industry. It's a very tough thing to solve. Um, but I think as they see more women in leadership positions and believing you know and even being able to hear a story like I don't come from a technology background that's not where I started that it is possible you know it does take some resilience and uh, you know there's a lot of great great growth opportunities for people in 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 our organization. I think we all have a vested interest to see that diversity grow.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. And when you say you are one of 80 women in a particular program, you know, I think hearing that alone helps sometimes because it's like, okay, if you were able to do it and you were able to push back any barriers that may have been there, and I'm assuming there were potentially some barriers, then it (laughs) shows other people, it tells other younger women, okay, it is possible. And now it's gone to, you know, 20 of the 80 are women. So I think we need to hear, like you said, we need to hear those stories. We need to be able to communicate. Um, I I was telling somebody else, and I think it's on another um, CIO leadership slide, but I have two granddaughters, one is seven years old, and we had a Thanksgiving get-together, and uh, my my niece's new husband was showing her some things on building like writing a song about pickles and they did this whole thing and it was on the phone and they used the stuff, and they used some ai and they made some art and it was really cool and i thought this is great like this is a nice place to let her know that this can be part of you know her what she does in her life in creating right and that's so, amazing yeah, I yeah technology amazing. isn't very creative you you talk to a lot of
1: engineers there's not, there are a lot of creative people that play guitar, that they, they're, they're, you know, there's a very, I'm not just saying playing guitar is great, but there's a lot of different creativity
0: that yeah. can come into place with, with technology. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. And it kind of, maybe this next question we're going into, we want to talk about, you know, the digital business and innovation. So I, this year, and I've done about 40 plus interviews now of CIO Leadership Live, both in Canada and and UK and US. And I've specifically had many tech leaders say to me, Lee, our company is technology first. We are a technology first company. So when we talk about that previous question around, you know, women getting into these roles and you're saying it could be anywhere and there are lots of opportunities for project management. I think as more companies say, we are a technology company first, right even though they might be a credit card or insurance company or whatever that opens that spectrum too but um so i'd love to just talk about switch it over to kind of you know innovation we've been having lots of discussions about that so many companies are still working with legacy systems and moving into the cloud we've got the whole cyber or security aspect and of course gen ai this year and in the last <laughs> over the weekend interesting all very interesting around that company and what's been happening but You know, you are a global leader, so could you talk a little bit about any shifts in how you're approaching technology and maybe as a technology-first organization for your clients and business? Absolutely. You know, when I think about
1: embracing a technology-first approach, it really is pivotal for staying competitive. My job, really any technology leader's job, is to understand in simple terms, what's the problem the business is trying to solve? You know, it almost always kind of sits within a few key areas. If I had to pick three or four, they would likely be efficiency improvements, cost reduction, data management. How do I get insights to make better decisions and communication and collaboration? There's much more underneath that. But when I think about it, it's really simple what we're trying to solve. Once I know the problem I'm trying to solve for, you know, in respect to helping the business, then I can tackle it by thinking about what they have and what they need. You know, for example, when we're thinking about transitioning data to the cloud, you know, we know that it enhances scalability and accessibility. You know, but we also have to think about prioritizing cybersecurity and safeguards against you know evolving threats. Um, cybersecurity and risk reduction is forefront. I'm sure you've heard this from every every leader. It's forefront in all of our minds. You know, everything we do, we have to ask ourselves what are the risks? What the risks are? How are we mitigating any known risks? But then there's that other piece. It's thinking outside of the box to figure out what are the unknown risks. Um, in regards to generative AI and machine learning, this is such an exciting proposition that will steadily be growing. Like I would say, you know, there's going to be a rapid trajectory, probably over the next two to five years, that's going to change it, how we live and how we work. Um, it will create new opportunities and new roles as we grow the functionality. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to do to get prepared for that, right? There's policies and, and governance that needs to happen. Gen AI and like integrating it into our solutions, exciting. It's not just how it can support our clients, but also how can it support our internal teams and in creating efficiency. You know, to capitalize on the shift, though, we're going to have to prioritize strategic planning. We have to invest in upskilling our workforce, collaborate with tech tech experts, you know, ensure seamless mm. slumbering over my words and secure technology integration. I think all companies are really looking at what this looks like. We are probably on the same trajectory as everyone else exploring, looking at use cases, what is the next steps? I can't say that for certain, but it's definitely these things are are, are on our minds.
0: Yeah, and I think you're echoing what I'm hearing a lot is like, you know, it is going to be friend and center for anyone who's a tech leader, you are going to have to work with partners and others who are experts, you're going to have to work with your teams, it's going to create efficiencies not only for your end users and your customers, but also for your internal teams, you know, whether you're in supply chain or you know, working with your data to ensure somebody has the best opportunity to get the best insurance product from you or, or whatever, right? So that, that seems to be where it is. But I think it'll it'll be interesting, I think, in 2024 and 2025 to see how all of those things start to really shape out. So uh, I appreciate your feedback and insights. So we had a chat maybe a month or six weeks ago. And, you know, you said, I really want to talk about imposter syndrome. And I Went away and I was like, you know, first of all, no one has on this series yet has talked about it. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, we not want to admit it. <laughs> I, well, I went away and I started questioning my own, like, okay, wait a minute, what's going on with me and my life and the work I've done? And literally the next week was facing something at work and like, was like, oh my God, I've got it's imposter syndrome. And I had a one to one with my manager and I said, you know, I think I've got some imposter syndrome. Going on, and needed to support. You know, he needed to support me through walking through that and what that was all about. And it was a really great conversation. So it was kind of interesting that it came from our conversation. I wasn't aware of it. So thank you for that. (laughs) I don't know if you should
1: thank me for that one.
0: No, it was good because it's important, I think, in our companies to have dialogues around this, right? And so, you know, my manager was very understanding, and we walked through. We talked about it and talked about why that might be happening, what was triggering, and you know what what solutions could be brought forward. So it was really interesting. But, um, you know, so wanted to talk about that just around, you know, your own experience as a woman in leadership, the types of things you're doing in your leadership role to support your own teams. The word imposter
1: syndrome is such a, everybody can identify with it, whether they admit it or they don't. And this is where, you know, I think, I'm an extremely transparent and very vulnerable person. I wasn't always this way. But I think it's really important to be able to have those conversations. I always thought that when people, you know, got to a certain level of their career and their executive, that they know it all. And a lot of people portray that not, you know, and the reality is from time to time, you are going to experience it and as a woman in technology who did not grow up in in the stem field i that's not my background over the years i still to this day i'm like am i am i do i what do i know am i am i the right person <laughs> yes. am i smart enough for this how do i have this job how am i leading these people but you know what i acknowledge it and i also normalize it with others so i've had other executives not just females, but men also have admitted it. Because I think once you admit it, other people kind of come forward. It's just like mental health issues, right? When you are open and able to say, I suffer from anxiety, I do. Other people are like, oh my God, I would never know. You're so confident. But the reality is we put on a face every day and imposter syndrome is something you take home and it stays under the covers, just like anxiety does a lot of the time. So I think For me, things I've done is I celebrate my achievements. And I am the first one to go, I'm not doing very good. I'm not doing good enough. And I have thankfully mentors. And that's another way that I suggest to people to always, you know, how do you support yourself? Get a mentor. Having a mentor is the greatest thing I've done for myself in my career. And I don't have one. I have more than one. Mm -hmm. It consistently helps to remind me from someone that I admire as highly successful in their career when they reflect back to me how far I've come. It is like the greatest thing you can do. And I never understand people when they're like, I don't have a mentor, I don't know how to get a mentor. A mentor is looking at someone you admire and asking them, please, will you? It doesn't have to be a once Once a month. What do we need help with? You know, continuous learning. That right. is a big thing. You know, I'm constantly reading and researching. If I, and I use AI. <laughs> I use, I use chat GPT for a lot of things. If I want quick answers, obviously you have to yeah. do checks and balances because yeah. there are some mistakes, but you know, I take courses over the years. I've had to, you can't grow up in your career and not do anything, you know? And it, we know in, in technology, what you learned, I don't care if you went to school, what you learned 20 years ago, isn't the same as five years ago or even a year ago, it's changing. So you got to consistently stay on top of it. Yeah. I also, um, encourage people goal setting. I, I do mentor quite a few people. Um, and a big thing for me is, is goal setting. I have had an Excel sheet since about 2010 and I haven't broken down, you know, it's not just career, but broken down into my career, my financial, my relationships, my spiritual. And I, I do a six month one year and five years. I don't really go out further than that, but you got to break down your goals. And if you don't write your goals down, you know, it's very hard. And then I go back to that Excel sheet. I'm like, oh my god, I did this. I, I you know, so I'm reinforcing those things. And then I guess last but not least is positive self-talk. You gotta challenge those negative thoughts and just replace them with positive affirmations. And listen, from somebody that is a highly anxious individual, I have to do this a lot. I tend to go to bed at night and I call it my gratitude list. And I don't do it every night. That would be a lie. But I try to do like. I'm grateful for these things. You know, it's it's knowing what you don't know is actually really empowering and being able to be vulnerable and to share that, you know? So I think I hope that answers the question. I got on a little bit of a soapbox there.
0: <laughs> no, it's totally fantastic. And I think, you know, it's a great way to wrap up this interview around gratitude. And I, I am obviously very grateful to have you and and being okay. able to communicate with you and having you, you know, in our conversations inspire me to think about my own position as a woman in leadership role. So I, I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much for joining us today, Renata. Thank
1: you for having me. This is an absolute honor to be able to do this with you. So I appreciate it. Charles Lewis for introducing me to you.
0: (laughs) Yay, Charles. (laughs) Yes, it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, And if you're interested in learning more about this video or other interviews, please don't hesitate to join us over at CIO.com front slash CA. Thank you again, Renata.